Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Glad you are with us today. We're talking about financial matters as typical. We'll try to stay within the financial realm and not get too far out. P- political. There's, <laughs> it's a bizarre time right now uh, when you look at some of these. And not, we're not going to get down that path, but some of these big companies and sports teams in these in these cultural issues and their customer base are revolting, and you're seeing um, on both sides. Yeah, it's um, yes, I yes, it's. You wonder why companies step in the middle of these issues. I I don't know. Does it feel like they're being forced? I don't know. I mean, it would be, if you're sitting around a boardroom, you've got your leadership team there, and you're trying to make decisions that are beneficiaries, the the beneficiaries are the stockholders. Well, that is your first it should be your your yeah. first priority. Well, in college, they used to tell us it was stakeholders. Well, they still have this. Now it's a big stakeholder thing, and capital is bad, and all those yeah, other yeah, things. Yeah, it's stakeholders. I'm, a, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you don't you're not falling into the camp that capitalism's bad. We need to destroy it and rebuild it with something fresh. Mike, that's just at least 98 percent of the <laughs> listeners. I would assume we're going to go with that assumption. And if the two percent that are offended, so be it. Yes. Yeah. But, but uh, you're sitting around a boardroom and you're trying to decide, okay, what's best for shareholder value? And there's two things that right? you think about, right? You think about short-term shareholder value, and then you think about long-term shareholder value. And it it is always, always a, a difficult decision because what might be good for your stock price today to cause a immediate bump may not be good for your stock price over time, which is why, you know, pharmaceutical companies spend so much money on, well, most pharmaceuticals, on research and development, software companies on research and development, because they know over time it's good for them. But if you wanted an immediate, you know, bump in your stock price, you might be doing other things such as let's pull back on research and development so we can adjust our EBITDA. So it looks really, really good for this quarter. And we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Right. And I wonder, is that what's happening in boardrooms that they have to, some of these social issues that they're in the middle of, or does it just start happening in some corner of a company Mm -hmm. and no one really pays attention until it's already out there. And it's these, some of these political issues are so hot. No one wants to even speak upon, speak to them. I think that's kind of what it is. I don't think it's senior lead. I don't think it's anyone in a boardroom saying, Hey, let's, Let's take it a stance on abortion. Let's take a stance on transgender. Let's take a stance on whatever the whatever. issues are of the day, right? Be, because it's no win. I mean, because Target serves, I would imagine, oh. the ultra right winger as and the ultra left winger and everywhere in between, right? I, I would, I would assume. Yes. Um, I was. Inter- I remember being at a, a conference uh, a couple years ago at, with the with the CEO of Charles Schwab. And they asked about some sort of, I don't remember what it was. It was some sort of issue. And he says, our stance is we don't comment on anything that's not related to investments and financial planning. That's actually probably a pretty good place to, to, to <laughs> land. <laughs> right. And um, because these companies. Yeah, they get involved in a cultural war. And they, they ship. I mean, think of, if you just look over the last 20 years, think of these cultural <laughs> Just it's, it's a new thing, right? <laughs> Something different. This. I mean, a couple years. I mean, a couple years ago, and the, the the riots and the whole BLM thing was massive. You now, don't hear much about that. The Me Too movement. You not hear much about that. Yeah. Well, it's where we are. Well, yeah. I, for one, as a as an investment advisor would certainly like to see companies stay clear of these cultural issues because I don't see how how it's beneficial to the company. Nor do I see it's going to make any difference in the cultural issues either, frankly. Is, yes. it, is it the corporate America's job to 
to deal with these issues or do they respond to the marketplace? I don't know. Well, I think they should respond to the marketplace. <laughs> you would hope so. I was building a widget. I would want whatever widget's going to sell the most and make me the most amount of money if I was a widget salesman, widget producer, as in any company. Yeah, but every widget manufacturing company, their, their number one goal is do no harm. Uh, that's probably not true. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Reminds me of the uh, Saturday Night Live uh, bag of glass. Like the, <laughs> the toys. Dan Aykroyd played the toys, toy salesman. G.I. <laughs> Joe with a split switchblade. You don't remember that? <laughs> no. Bag of glass was with a Christmas sign. <laughs> okay. I don't know why I thought All right, about we should that. Get anyway, to, yeah. get to the hey, calls. we'd love to take some calls. If you want to join us, our contact is 833-99-WORTH. It's 833-99-WORTH. We're in California talking with Raj. Raj, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Well, hi. Thanks for taking my call. I just had a quick question. I'm almost 67 and getting close to retiring in next year or so. And with all these uncertainties and impending recession, and all kind of mixed advice you see in the media. I, I just want curious, what is the best uh, thing to do for someone like me, where uh, we have remained invested for most parts, but then, uh, you know, given the ongoing um, market fluctuations, is this the best time to kind of cash out or put it in safe uh, investment vehicles or what is the best way of uh, someone at my stage so so raj how that's a great question yeah, yeah. how is just you've, you've been planning for this event your entire life here it's upon you and you're like uncertainty yeah there's always uncertainty though um and if this recession doesn't happen this year there will be another one fairly shortly how is your portfolio constructed today like stocks to bonds just so we can well, get an understanding of risk about 50 50 mix you know um but you know as i said you know if there is a long recession or something and just about the time when we're getting ready to call it quits um in terms of working career then, you know, I think uh, when you start taking distributions, you know, I'm just wondering what is the best uh, mix for yeah. and uh, what given is, the current situ situation right now. What is the, what's the account values of all of them? Probably close to $5 million. And how much distribution do you plan on taking when you retire? Well, there's a mandatory. Some of it uh, is retirement. About uh, I've got about... Um, close to 2 million in retirement accounts. Okay. And that you have to take out 4%, right? Yeah, but not, not till you're 75, so. Till 70, 71, yeah. Well, they, they've moved it's it. It's moved up, yeah. Yeah, so depending upon, it, it bridges up, up over time. Mm -hmm. So how much do you think, like if you retire tomorrow, let's forget about the required minimum distributions, how much income mm -hmm. do, you, do you think you'll take? Two hundred thousand dollars a year, a hundred thousand. Yeah, somewhere in that range, you know, okay. or maybe a little less. Okay, uh, you know, but you know, uh, it it'll probably go up with time. And do you have any muni bonds in that? So you got about three million outside of retirement accounts. Do you, I'm, I'm assuming you a lot of your fixed income is there and tax free bonds. Yeah, I think some of it is in the. Uh, I don't know how they are constructed. This is a somewhat managed portfolio, so. I mean, do you have, a, do you have a financial advisor you work with? Yeah, I work with Fidelity Wealth Management people, and they kind of um, oversee things. But I know the overall... They're not like, it's not like a fiduciary advisory relationship. Yeah, they're um, independent. And they mostly just construct portfolios and don't get into financial planning if you're using someone at... Um, mm -hmm. And I think they emphatically state they don't provide tax advice. So I think you're okay. I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, other mm -hmm. than I would look to see if we could make the the money outside of the IRAs really, really tax efficient, yep. like super yeah. tax efficient. Because your biggest <laughs> – the, the biggest area for you to add value over the next decade is in your tax planning. That's right. <clears throat> so, yeah. in, in fact, if, if we and look, Once you retire, your income is going to look much different. Are you married? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when if I were to like build your portfolio from ground zero, um, I would have a tendency to put more money in the bonds inside of the IRAs and more tax efficient things like um, the total market or the S&P 500 or tax efficient mutual funds 
in the brokerage account. And that has to do with what is called a step up in basis at the first day. And probably spend uh, maybe even a little in your situation, everyone's situation is unique. That's right. And oftentimes someone at retirement, the majority of their assets in retirement accounts for you, it's only 40%. So it might yeah. actually be that we would draw heavier from that. And allow the other assets to, to grow in a tax-efficient fa fashion. That's right. You would probably start your distributions almost immediately from the IRA uh, when you retire. and just. But it might also depend on what the beneficiaries look like. Yes. Because you might keep, choose to keep more in the IRA. Yeah, if you, especially if your kids have more are in the that. lower tax bracket. So there's lots of things that you should do from just a planning ma standpoint. managing the portfolio tax-efficiently in a planning standpoint. But the 50-50 allocation, I wouldn't touch it at all. I, and, you know, this – I, the man that actually – I was listening to a podcast this last week, and the guy that actually drew the correlation between negative um, with um, yield curves, right? Inverted yield curve. An inverted yield curve was actually the one that actually created this – model that says, well, this is a predictive of a recession. So I was listening to him on a podcast this week and he said, but it may not be this time. He's <laughs> <laughs> the guy who created it. And he always say that. Yeah. Well, well if, he, it, if so, I think something like 95% of economists have are predicting a recession latter part of this year currently. So the market, the market's already priced. Probably priced. A light in. recession in. Yeah. It's probably priced. And, Historically, well, if we've, I mean, there's lots of recessions. You're 67. Let's assume you lived to 90. There're going to be there'll be several more recessions. Yeah, you're going to yeah. and, and, and a this, handful of bear markets. And this portfolio has served you well by having an allocation like this over time. Well, it's been very slow growth, unlike you know what many people do, probably better than me. But it's been very conservative uh, for most parts. Well, and it's in very conservative, uh, you know, uh, funds, mutual funds and so forth. That, so. That, that's okay, right? That is all right. Yeah, if, yeah. if you were a pension fund, if you were a pension fund and you looked at mm -hmm. their allocations, they typically have 60 to 70% in stock or stock-like holdings and the rest is in fixed income. Right. Um, so you're not far off the mark. And remember, you're not managing it just into the first day of retirement. You're managing – Actually, you're managing this money for not only you, but your heirs, your beneficiaries, because you're not going to spend all this money in your lifetime. Hopefully not. Oh, I doubt you didn't get $5 million by blowing cash. That's correct. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm a saver, but again, that's why I'm you have the five million bucks. Either, so, yeah. so avoiding risk is again, risk management is, I think, crucial. Yeah, but time, I think you know, it's also important, Raj. Let's don't forget about. The biggest risk for retirees is inflation. Out of money. Yeah, well, it's inflation. It's spending power. Spending power. Exactly. Right? Yes. And that's what the equities actually play a very, very important role in your portfolio. The stock side of the portfolio, <laughs> you, if you did You can't have, have raising prices without companies raising prices. That's right, which then you know feeds on itself. But if you were my older brother, um, I would say, look- the, the portfolio is okay. You really need to dig into what is the objective of the portfolio. You're, assume you're going to leave money to your heirs. What money okay. should you leave them? Should you leave them the money in the IRA or in the brokerage account? And it depends and on what we draw. If we're, if we're going to pull 150, 200 grand a year, let's assume, where, do we gonna, where are we going to pull that from? A, a combination of both or yeah. what percentage? And the tax planning is critical for you and it might even be some uh, roth conversions for the first few years how much money are you making now at your your employment probably a little under half a million okay you'll be and i assume you have no debt no no i yeah, never yeah. have any debt so. <laughs> i knew that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't change the construction of the portfolio in terms of the stock to bond weighting, but most certainly dig on the t in on the tax aspects of it. And remember, you don't know what you don't know. And the sure. people at Fidelity, they may not have ever even mentioned you know tax, mm -hmm. and that is really what the well, alpha they, is. They do some tax harvesting that, within that, the managed part of the portfolio, but. That's a start. I don't know. It has not shown a growth. They just say that it saves me tax money every year. That, 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 that's a start. 
that's a start for tax planning. Yes. So, all right. Appreciate the call. Great. Yeah. Okay, congrats. Oh, and by the way, you should think about Social Security. Um, I, I don't. I'd probably take it the day I retired, just because yeah, of your I, net worth. Actually, I turned it on because uh, that'll benefit between me and my wife. I think our, our break-even point would be somewhere in uh, late 80, mid to late 80s. So my advisor said you should turn it on. So I turned it on. Well, I would have done it for another reason, which is I would be afraid of a change in legislation for rich people, and that they well, there's our, lose. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's already in the. It's already set in law that there's going to be a reduction as soon as the trust fund goes negative, which is going to be in either 23 or 24. 33 or 34. Yeah. I'm sorry, 33 or 34. So yes. a decade oh, from now. You scared me for a minute. <laughs> no, no, no. But it could happen. <laughs> It'll be there before you know it. <laughs> it could happen. All okay. right, appreciate the call. Yeah, I'd... Sure. Right, I wish thanks you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Let's head now to Hawaii and talk with Marie. Marie, you with Allworth Money Matters. Hi there. Good morning. Hi. Uh, my name is Marie. Hi, Marie. Uh, I'm 57. Hi. I'm 57 years old, and thanks for getting, taking my call. Aloha. Uh, last. Aloha, yes. Aloha. <laughs> <laughs> or is it mahalo? I don't know. Which yeah, one is whatever. the... Both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're both good. They're both good. Okay. So you're 57. So, yes. Um, I got laid off last year from my company, and um, instead of looking for another work, I decided maybe I can you know, take a break, retire early. I have some savings and kind of want to focus on my health for now before even thinking about maybe going back to work later. And I just wanted to see if this early retirement myth is actually, you know, actually works. So I did move here last year and the lifestyle here is a lot simpler to, um, you know, a lot of things are free, fresh air is free, the beach is free. So I'm not really spending a whole lot of money. Um, so a lot you know, it's my, really, I'm going to stop. Just really, that's really interesting because just about every article you would read would talk about how expensive it would be to retire in Hawaii, but they're written by journalists, yes. right? Most yes. of these financial articles written by journalists, written by <laughs> journalists that just look at the, how much a housing is going to cost and, and energy is going to cost and food's going to cost. But then you talk to Marie who's actually there and she's like, most of the stuff I love to do is free. I had a client yeah. that retired to Hawaii. It, 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 she was this, she's not spending 300 bucks a ticket to go to the Met. Yep. She, she. Did it 15 years ago. Same thing. Got an early retirement offer. Said, hey, can I afford to move to Hawaii and live like this? And I said, yeah, if you can make $1,000 a month. And she works part-time in uh, hospitality. She absolutely loves it. Just loves it. Couldn't be happier. So you you want to kind of a, us to do a check on your financial situation? Is that what? Um, a little bit, but I think one of my main reasons because most of my living expenses comes from interest and dividends. And so a lot of my money is invested, you know, about 70% in stocks and 30% in bonds right now. Um, I, I had a kind of generic question. So it seems like, you know, when I, whenever I watch, you know, the stock market this year, it's kind of starting to creep up a little bit, you know, the past few weeks and, yep. but people still talk about recession all the time. So for somebody like me who's kind of dependent on my portfolio, what should I do? Uh, do I go defensive and put some cash aside? Or is this whole recession talk another one of those things that people are propagating fear or, you know, kind of just wanted to see your point of view? Um, I, uh, how long has your portfolio been 70-30? How many years? Um, it's kind of been that way. Um, actually, it was a little bit more leaning towards stocks and then when i retired last year okay. i started putting more on and what, what not bonds but like treasuries yeah what percentage of your portfolio are you withdrawing on an annual basis do you know uh just relying on interest and dividends right now because i'm not really spending a whole lot of money and how much I'm is that like uh maybe a year about forty thousand dollars a year and how much money uh so give us the breakdown of the total dollar amount of the whole uh, portfolio about eight hundred thousand. And how much eight hundred thousand? And you're taking interest and dividends of forty thousand dollars a year. Yes. Yeah. And how much money do you have in IRAs? IRAs is since I can't touch it yet, right? I have about seven hundred fifty k. Well, actually, and you've got no income coming in other than the dividend. Um, yeah, for uh, now, because I'm. I know. So you have, you have, wait, you have what? Let me just. Kind of, you, you've got. 
1.5 million in, re- in savings and you're living off $40,000 a year. Is that correct? Mm, yes. All right. Then your allocation is completely fine regardless mm-hmm. of what is going to happen in the next 12, 24, 36 months. We shouldn't worry about the 12, 24 to 36 because months. You are with, you are living oh. off withdrawing such a small percentage of your net worth that you've got the luxury of being able to uh, have the time to let the markets go through the cycles that they're going to go through. Yeah, I okay. would, but now it, there, there is a planning opportunity. And let me, uh, on, okay. back on the markets. So because of your question, like the majority of economists are now expecting a recession. So the market, like investors know this information or at least what people believe, and it's currently priced in. So theoretically, anyway, market prices are going to fluctuate based upon new information that think that something that we haven't thought about. Something's changed mm-hmm. that's not in our model today that we haven't been able to predict today. Theoretically, that's mm-hmm. what's going to drive tomorrow's stock price. So your, your allocation is fine. I think, mm-hmm. and the money is in an IRA, not in your 401k, correct? Oh, sorry. Uh, the, the retirement money is in 401k. Okay, this is brilliant. This is beautiful. Oh, you, I was hoping great. you were going to say that. And you uh, quit when you were 56 years of age. Yes. Okay. This is a great planning opportunity. You need to start taking income from that 401k. But isn't the minimum age is 59 and a half? No, only on an well, IRA. It's there, but there's exceptions. One exception is if you are 55 or older and terminate service from your employer. You can get at the money without penalty. You pay taxes oh. on it. So the mere fact that you are at such a low tax bracket That's right. is why we want to start taking money out of that uh, 401k today. Now, had you put it in an IRA, we would have used what's called a 72T distribution, but you don't have to worry about that. So for the rest of the listeners, a 72T is a, a, Or is just a Roth conversion. Or a Roth conversion. But why would you do a Roth conversion if she never goes, wants to go back to work, Scott? Well, good point. Right. I would, I would, I'd start taking distribution. From a financial standpoint, it, mm-hmm. this is, you're like, this is awesome. This is great. You're fine. Really? My guess, yeah. my, <laughs> my guess is you've been a great saver. My guess is you never had a, um, you never had a super high income. You've been a great saver your entire life. Is that right? Uh, I had a super high income and okay. I was a great saver. Okay. Both. So, okay. <laughs> so, so here's, here's why you, here's why you want to start taking some money out of that, the 401k. So forget all the rules about 59 and a half, right? Mm-hmm. You want to start taking a monthly distribution if the 401k allows it. It may only allow an annual distribution, in which case you want to take it annually and then start spending it on a monthly basis. I think I'd probably, I'd have to do some planning around it. Um, but I would probably start taking, I don't know. Yeah, because there's 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 room in in the low tax bracket, and you've got some capital gains that are at, at nothing on your brokerage. So the tax planning is the right. is the is the bigger issue in my mind. Than, yeah, yeah, I would probably look at. Uh, I'd have to do some um, analysis on it, but I'm guessing you could probably take almost twenty thousand dollars a year. Um, Okay. Out of the four one no, I'm yeah. I'm this, I said guessing. Or maybe more. Um, but I'd run it through. No, a, I don't need anymore. I'd run it through a model. Uh, I'd do some tax planning around it. So, and um, the idea behind this <clears throat> is is it's basically tax arbitrage when we're in a low or zero percent bracket. Like we want to maximize that as much as we can, rather than deferring and suddenly we find ourselves in a twelve or twenty two percent or worse down the road. All right. Yes. Does that make Thanks, sense? And you may, so, it, you, yeah, uh, yeah. you may need a, a financial advisor to actually walk you through this and actually determine the amounts. Mm-hmm. And you should be rebalancing your portfolio and doing some tax loss harvesting on that brokerage account yes. right now. Yeah, for sure. Yes, I do. I do that. Yeah. Well, I, I did that too much last December. So, <laughs> but at the same time, like I was thinking about Roth conversion, but then that, that they have that five year minimum rule that you can't touch yeah, but it. You, right. So you, if you did it, you're probably not going to touch it until you're 90. Yeah. So, I could make an argument for a Roth conversion, but if the plan is really no, never to go back to work, I, I, I would still make the argument for Roth conversion. You would? How much? Hmm. Well, instead of withdrawal, I would do a Roth conversion. Why wouldn't you do a little bit of both? Because well, she's got plenty of money after tax. It's like if, if she can just suddenly have the ability to take 20 grand from her brokerage account and throw it into a Roth, wouldn't she do that? 
But, yeah, I guess I can do both. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, you could, could you do both. Uh, I mean, you got to run. You got, I mean, do a financial plan, and you can see what it's, what the difference yeah. is down the road. I could, I could make an argument on both sides of this, but a Roth conversion, most because you just like well, to argue. All right. Well, that's true. He just likes to analyze and discuss. I would, um, or, he, or he just, he, no, I can tell the look in his eyes. He's, he's thinking, I, you're probably right, Scott, but I'm going to come up with some <laughs> argument to say why you're not 100% no, right. Uh, what, what we do know is that you need to start draining uh, that either in Roth or uh, in From a tax planning from standpoint. From a tax planning standpoint. And, okay. and, and it might okay. be worth your time to actually pay someone to help you do it. So, yeah. But congrats, congrats on the retirement. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. you. Well, it's always good to have some time to, you know, focus on the health, right? To figure out how to live on $40,000 a year in Hawaii is quite impressive as well, I must say. Yes. Well, I appreciate the call. Yeah. Taking a quick break. We'll be right back with Allworth. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Um, Pat, before we go back to the calls, with it, interest rates are up dramatically on cash, right? Short term. Like, on, like how 5%. Quick, how quickly it moved is actually mind-boggling. But that's exactly what the, that's exactly what the Fed's point was. Right? To slow inflation, we're going to make... Uh, we're going to make it more difficult in the capital markets to use leverage to slow growth. Yeah. And so we've got a, a time right now with interest rates, short-term interest rates are high. Long-term interest rates are low. Um, but for the long-term investor, either one could be a bit of a trap. So right now, a three-year, uh, I'm sorry, a three-month government tre- treasure bill is yielding roughly five and a quarter. Six months is almost five and a half, 5.4%. Okay? Two-year, right? So invest your money for six months, 5.4%. Two-year, 4.5%. Five-year, 3.8%. 10-year, 3.7%. That is what's called a negative yield curve. (laughs) Yes. So, yes, interest rates are high on the short end. Low on the long end. And historically, it has been the other way around, that the longer you in, lend money for, the higher the interest Doesn't rate that, that make you're going to receive. Yes. I'm going to lock my money up. The longer you lock your money up, one would think a rational investor would say, the longer I'm going to lock my money up, the more interest I'm going to demand, more return I'm going to demand for that investment. Here's the, here's the danger with high, in, with high interest rates for longer-term investors. It is tempting to look at this as a great alternative for in, for what would otherwise be good long-term investments. Equities, stocks. And, that, and there was an article in, in the Wall Street Journalist last, uh, a week ago on, on um, it comes out on Saturdays, I think. Um, Jason's Weegers Wag, which I normally really enjoy his columns. I always read his columns. As do I. He com- I usually drops, I think, Friday night sometime or something like that, because it's usually when I read it, or late Friday afternoon. And... Um, but this, and this was, it was published in the Wall Street Journal a week ago. This particular one, I, I funny because I almost wrote to him. And I, know, I can't expect um, every time someone writes that I fully agree with their opinion, right? But um, hit, the perspective was that, hey, cash is a great alternative right now. And he said at, at roughly trading at, at just over 5%, it's trading at, at 19 times earnings. So it takes you 19 years for an investment to get your your cash back in interest. He said that, and he compared it to the stock market, which is also trading at roughly 19. They're not the same. They're, they're absolutely. Right? So think about this. Just if an interest, if you put a million dollars into a treasury bill, that's yielding just over 5%. First year, you're going to get 50 some odd thousands. Next year, 50 some odd thousand. No inflation, by the way. 10 years, 50 some odd thousand, 15 years, 19 years, 50 some odd thousand. And by that point, you've got your million dollars back in interest. Okay. So he was, it was the argument of this article was that it's trading at 19 times its forward cash flow. And he's, the argument was that the stock market is trading at roughly 19 times. And the difference is earnings. And the difference is corporate earnings go up over time. Your it's interest a massive does. difference. Yes. Well, 
to compare the two, I thought was preposterous. So the his point is, this is a decent alternative to equity investing. Let's say you take the, the same million dollars and buy the broad basket of S&P 500. It's yielding what? Roughly 2% today? So let's call little, it 2%. Yeah, a little bit over. So it's not yielding. So a million dollar investment will get you $20,000 a year in interest. Now, over the next 20 years. But, but companies don't pay out. Most companies don't pay out everything they make. No, I was talking about dividend. Dividend yield in the S&P is roughly. Correct. Correct. They're, they're earning they're, about five just over 5%. They're reinvesting back in the business. On average, right? That's the 19 times. So they're earning about the same as an interest. But over time, you would expect. Assuming our world hasn't changed in such a manner that no longer do we have growth, no longer do we have innovation, no longer do we have increased productivity. Anytime in the next 19 years. Correct. And it might occur in year three, seven, 12, who knows? So if you're a 19-year investor, you're going to keep your money in cash? That would be foolish. Which is? I don't think that article is particularly arguing that. But it made such a strong case for cash. Um, I was a little perplexed. Cash has a place. No question. In a portfolio. No question. And it's a better alternative today than it was a year or two ago. That's for right. For sure. That's right. There's no question about it. That's right. That's right. And if you've got uh, money sitting in, in a savings account earning 5% and you've got a mortgage at 3%, what's the point of paying it off right now? Yeah. And if interest rates decline in three years, now interest rates are back to 2.5%, then it's a different, you got to look at it in the but environment. It's, at that but time. it's, but it, we don't know what interest rates will be in two years or three years. Nobody, Nobody has does. a clue. Nobody does. The Federal Reserve doesn't. The Fed, they're like, we have no idea. We're gonna we're gonna look at this quarter by quarter, actually week by week. Right. To see So they've cranked see. up rates, cranked up rates, cranked up rates, cranked up rates. Now it looks like they're taking a little bit of breather. Like, what is this really gonna mean for the but, economy? But even then they're not sure. They're looking at data that comes in every day. What is the participation rate? What kind of leverage is in the marketplace? If we slowed growth too much. Are we going to create unemployment above and beyond uh, what would be considered reasonable in order to stop inflation? They're just, they're tightening up. That's why they call it tightening. So we're going to take leverage out of the marketplace. How do you take leverage out of the marketplace? You make leverage more expensive. We've seen it in home prices. We're seeing it actually in- The home market is a bizarre market right now. It is crazy. <laughs> My son it, just- it, it, made an offer on a house in Denver at $10,000 over asking. What was the house selling for? Five, six, $550. What does, is he near the downtown area? Uh, closer, yes. What does a $550 buy in Denver uh, in 2023? Well, didn't buy it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it went for $580. Um, How many offers on it? Uh, well, two that he has the one that he knew of was one other one. I went for five eighty seventeen hundred square feet, two bedroom, two bath, um, 55 year old home that had been recently, uh, replumbed and re-electric, uh, needed new roof. Um, it's but, still being outbid. Oh, absolutely. Being outbid. Being outbid. It's really bizarre. And here's, you know, this is a prime example to say how to just to remind yourself how difficult it is to try to time the market. Because if you would have said, hey, interest rates on a 30-year mortgage are going to go from two and three quarters to six and a half percent. And you modeled this. Uh, modeled this after home prices have increased anywhere from 30% to 200% depending on the market. If you modeled that, you would say that there's going to be a steep decline. <laughs> of course you would, right? Do you think how much more monthly payment is for the same mortgage? But what I think what's interesting now, Pat, is there are a lot of people that um, have homes that don't want to sell. Like I would normally move up. I would normally consider a transfer to another city, but I've got a mortgage at, I've got a $700,000 mortgage at 2.75%. In the new market, even if I can buy a house for slightly less, that $500,000 mortgage at six or six and a half is going to be much more than I've been paying 
which is which is slows mobility, which is why inventory is so low in most parts of the country. That's right. Or you, what you're seeing is people that have the means to actually do it will then start converting those homes into rental properties and then re-leverage on the backside for a new property if they have the means to do so, just to not get rid of that in, uh, low interest rate. Yeah, I would think that's correct. Yeah. Or convert it to an Airbnb. But who knows where interest rates are going to be another two years from now? Anyone's guess. They could be low again. Probably I, not below 3%. I don't think. I don't know if that's really been healthy for... I think that they, uh, the, the, the loose monetary policy uh, is coming back too. And we talked about it yeah. a couple of years like, ago. And so ca- like cash, there's clearly a, um, a place for, for cash in a portfolio, and it's much more attractive today. But for any investment that you've got five plus years on, it's probably not going to make, probably not the best place for you to, to stick it. I mean, if it's, if you plan on buying, if you, if we're talking about housing, if your plan is you're saving for a vacation, let's say a second home that you want to buy in four years, cash is the perfect place for it because you know exactly what you're going to have when you need the money. But probably not 10 years or 12 years or 20 years. No. And and cash is the ideal place for shorter term. That's the correct place. You don't want to try to invest in the latest AI company or SPAC or to try to, SPAC's not popular anymore. AI is what's the latest company that's gone through oh. the roof or whatever. It's uh, and I'm thinking, oh boy, <laughs> not the same thing. <laughs> Investors getting usually. Look, by the time it's the front page of the Wall Street Journal and the, the top story on CNBC, it might be too it might late. be too late. I'm might, just guessing. Could be a little. <laughs> the late. cat's out of the bag at that point. The price has probably already been bid up. Any excess returns probably been squeezed. And out. then what you're seeing is a lot of lesser also ran companies actually enter into the capital markets in order to extract value. Well, I tell you, in California, where we're we clearly seen that in the marijuana business. I don't use marijuana personally. I think I did in college, but it's been a long time. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it was one of those things that you saw so many people enter the market. I've got a close friend that went into the growing business. I actually know a couple people that went into the growing business, and they were. <laughs> Minting money for a little while. Prices have collapsed. Anyway, we should probably take some calls here. We're going to uh, listen to some calls. We are in California talking with Richard. Richard, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, it's great to be with you guys. Thank oh, you. Thank you. What can we do to help? Yeah, I'm looking at a proposed settlement associated with my CalPERS long-term care. So, Proposed settlements going to be considered by the class action settlement, considered by the courts. They haven't authorized it yet. So I've been sent two options in okay. front of me. One, take a lump sum payment. This is for both my wife and I have long-term care. Lump sum payment between us, it's uh, 50000 It's approximately 25000 And that's a refund of premium? Yes. Yeah, 80% of the premium since we began the program back when we th- were 36. That's okay. what it represents. Take a lump sum payment and uh, discontinue participation in the CalPERS long-term care. Okay. Or option two, continue long-term care with CalPERS and get $1,000 each, and there would be no rate increase for us through November of 2024. Oh, and what happens in November, uh, <laughs> December of 2024? Uh, well, my expectation is more increases, but there's no certainty on uh, what those would be. Well, then you could pretty much count on an uncertainty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that's precisely, <laughs> precisely what I'm. How old are you? I'm. Uh, I'll be 64. And let's let's decide whether you need long-term care insurance or not. Let's that's let's start there. Yeah, well, when I signed up after seeing, uh, going through situations with both my wife's parents and my parents, I got concerned and thought, well, you know, maybe this is something we need to do. And back then it was cheap. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was really, really, place. really inexpensive. In fact, it, it was, was so inexpensive, it wasn't it sustainable. That's right. <laughs> so what exactly? <laughs> what, is your, uh, uh, what is your monthly pension that you receive? Monthly pension is uh, 17000 Okay. And does your spouse receive a monthly pension? She does not. And how much money do you have uh, in IRAs, brokerage accounts, savings, all that sort of stuff? Uh, 401, 457, a million. 
uh, outside of uh, just in equity kind of investments, uh, uh, about 400000 and then savings about three fifty, and the home's paid off. We're at one point seven five million and seventeen thousand dollars a month in income. Are you? Um, are you? Would you be able to uh, medically qualify for a new long term care policy today? I think I can. I'm not sure about my wife. Because that's the question, right? So if you can go out and and medically qualify for a, a new one, what I would probably recommend is if you wanted to continue with long term care insurance, is is Buy a life insurance policy, a single-pay life insurance policy that has a rider for it. It's going to be end up being less expensive for you over That's the next right. 20 and, years. And the, and the reason that is is essentially you give them a lump sum, and they say, okay. And most long-term cares are not that long. Right. They're, 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 how long you stay in a facility. Yeah. You give them a lump sum, and let's say you give them 200000 and they say, okay, we will promise you $8,000 a month in benefit. That 200000 will quit earning interest. It just stays there. If you go in a long-term care facility, you have to blow through that 200000 before the risk actually hits the insurer. Um, so but then, consider it a high but then deductible. If, you're, if it's a five or 10-year stay, you've got insurance there. And if you never use it, then that $200,000 goes to your heirs at your death. That's how these long-term care policies. So it might be that something like that would make sense for you, but for your wife, you, you might want to keep, keep her on the plan. That's right. Cause if she can't medically qualify today, she's probably best. Well, if she can't medically qualify. Then it's the question is, do you want insurance or not? And you only have one option. Well, here's the, but it, it, expect this to happen though. When that happens, you're going to say it. You're going to adverse you're, selection. You're going to create an adverse selection pool in the insurance contract. The only people the, are going to be stuck, kept with it are the ones that can't the, get it anywhere else. And the premiums will skyrocket because of the adverse selection in that pool. Sounds like though what I should do because this I've uh, got two months right now before the court. I think they take this thing up in July. I can actually start contacting. Uh, company just from an eligibility. That's standpoint. right, hundred percent. That That's right, and uh, and go into but, underwriting for the both of you, and determine whether y- you can get any new policy. Yeah, and then when that happens, I got to tell you, I would have a tendency. Um, if you didn't qualify, I might take that risk in house for your wife, which means I I don't know if I would actually. Well, you probably continue the premiums until at least next November. But she's given up the twenty five thousand dollars because, uh, right? Because it was option one I, or option two. I I I, 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 I would. This is when you have to make a decision by. I by uh, the the court takes it up in I think first. Uh, week I, I, I would I, actually in the next couple of weeks I would talk to a long-term care specialist and and talk and 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 apply for a couple policies and see what happens yes and for both you and your and your yeah. wife but uh, I, my guess is that and if she could if she can qualify you're probably better off moving to a different uh, policy than no that. question there and is it might not it. be that bad in another year or two but if we go another decade out, 20 years out for, for the premiums, because what happens is it, this adverse selection means all the, the people that couldn't qualify outside like you, you qualified outside. They, you take all the, the you leave all the bad risk behind, right? The, all the risk. And that's called adverse selection. It's a really good point. There's just going to be a concentration. Of that's, exactly that's right. right. That's and right. The way these policies, the way they have the premium <clears throat> they can raise the premium based upon their the, claims by the claims in that particular risk pool, which is all those people that were employees of the state of California uh, that couldn't get insurance that. elsewhere. And that the, you would expect those premiums to just go out of sight because the insurance companies aren't going to lose money. On they don't this. lose money. I get it. No, right? that makes a lot of sense. Right. And so then you might yeah. just decide rather than I'll take my 25,000. And by the way, You've got $17,000 a month in pension, and then you probably have Social Security on top of it? I will. I, I'm working again, so I, I'll, I'll put that off. But yeah. Okay. Okay. You, you, I mean, if it was- I'd take that risk. If it was yeah. only one of you, if you were single, I'd say, you're, what in the world are you paying for long-term care insurance? 
You got a way that plenty of money coming in on a monthly basis to pay for whatever you need. The reality is you got plenty of money coming in on a monthly basis to pay for what both of you need, but yeah. So I would, makes you feel better. I would see if I qualified. If I didn't qualify it, I'd actually take the 50 grand and walk and I'd take that your wife's and I'd bear the risk yourself, yourself and share on that one. That's really helpful. All right, Richard. Appreciate the uh, counsel and uh, good, good to talk to you guys and really enjoy listening to the program. All right. Well, thanks. Will you do us a favor? Can you um, go on? Um, Give us a review. Uh, uh, a review, please. <clears throat> of course. <laughs> our, marketing, our marketing people say if we get enough positive reviews, we will hit a tipping point at some point in time. And that, <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what impact that's going to have on anyone's life. But. <laughs> well, count more, one more. All right. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. You know, Thank it's you. interesting. It's like uh, this long-term care call. I actually found that it was, it was, I thought it was quite an interesting call. And I think probably educational for a lot of people, just uh, <clears throat> the whole adverse selection poll. Cause it happens in life insurance as well. That's right. That is that not it, like a whole life. Cause that stuff determined ahead of time, but these universal lives. Yeah. The selection poll. That's why they have the, you know, emancipator one, two, three, five, seven, 15, 21 insurance companies. They all have these different, yeah, yeah. different names for things. Yeah. Well, when we were at Lincoln National Life Insurance, it yeah, was yeah. The, the Emancipator. Yeah, it was a long time ago. You learn a lot starting there. <laughs> you do. And I'm just not, we're nothing disparaging about the oh, insurance no. company. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and we're in California with Sammy. Sammy, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Yes. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hi, Sammy. How can we be of Hello. service? Well, I have a question about um, IRAs. I'm I'm 79 years old. I'm retired uh, on a state of California uh, savings or, or PERS retirement. And I have quite a bit in IRAs that I accumulated over the years working for the state, both in 401ks, 457s, and also some uh, traditional IRAs outside of that state system. And I'm just wondering if it's time for me at this point to uh, consider converting those to Roths. Uh, how much money do you have in those? Uh, grand total in there is uh, 419K. Okay. And are you married? Yes. And what is your family income? Uh, the two of us together, probably uh, 175, I'd say. And you have children? Adult children on their own. And should you and your wife both pass on, will these dollars go to your kids? Yes, they are. Right now it's set up in one-third beneficiaries for wife and two kids. Okay, and so let's talk about your kids. Because what the, – the reason we and want – So let me just get this clarity on this, though. Currently it's structured so if you got hit by an Amazon van today uh, and passed away – a third goes to your wife, and the other two-thirds go to your adult children. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Huh. That's interesting. And what is the tax situation like for your children? What's the, is their income above one hundred and seventy-five grand? No. What is their income? They're probably in the neighborhood of anywhere from 85 to 100. Okay. And they have children? One of them does. One of them does not. Okay. So one of them has two two children. Okay. So, um, it's curious that you have money going to your children. Are they both and- in California? No, they're both out of state. What states? Utah and Illinois. Okay. See, and the reason we're asking this question is what what you asked us with asking us. Should I put money in a Roth? Should convert I convert to Roth? something to Roth? Well, was, should I voluntarily pay the tax on this now or not? And the only reason you would is if there's a high probability of you being in a lower tax bracket in the future. And we don't believe that's going to happen. But the beneficiaries are in a lower tax bracket than you. So if you were to pass away and they inherited the Roth, let's say it happened tomorrow. You converted everything to tomorrow tomorrow into a Roth, and then the very next day you pass away and you pay taxes on that, you would be paying taxes at a higher rate than they would when they took the distributions from the IRA. Gotcha, yeah. Right? Unless they cashed it in all at once. But Unless, then it would still be a wash. Yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
so the answer is n- no. You shouldn't be converting money from uh, the IRAs to a Roth IRAs. That makes but, but, sense because but, they'll have ten years to. That's right. That's right. You, that's right. You got it. it. But my question is more than that: is um, will you if, if you were to pass away tomorrow? The way you described it is, if you passed away tomorrow, your IRA one third of the four hundred and nineteen thousand dollars would actually go to your wife. One third would go to each one of your children. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the way it's set up. And would your wife's income uh, drop because of your pension or any other income? Most certainly, it would because of Social Security at your death. No, she's. Uh... She's got her own trust. We each have our own separate trust. We we married late in life. Okay. Got it. All right. Married. Enough. There we go. Yep. Thank you. Yes, you got you answered all the questions right there. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's highly unusual. And you have a, your own trust. Perfect. It's not always that unusual on second marriages, though, or later marriages. That's right. That's yeah. right. But perfect. Nope, nope. The answer to your question is, um, yep, do not convert. Yeah, appreciate the call, Sammy. And I'm maybe yeah, great. And uh, the next question oh, is: fire away. Do you know something? Uh, do you know something about the Amazon truck that I don't know? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's just that they're all, they're just they seem to have to try to change the change the story instead of if you got hit by a bus tomorrow. Pat says you're much more likely to get hit by an Amazon truck van because they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're I, obsequious. I they're they're. I, I saw one. In, I see one in front of my house at least twice a day. I think they're following me. <laughs> they might be in your house just dropping something off twice a day. <laughs> no, that's likely. That's likely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Appreciate the call. Yeah. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you. you know, it's interesting, Pat. When uh, money gets transferred by beneficiary designation, even if your will or trust states something different, and sometimes on second marriages it gets pretty complex because you've got an IRA. You're like, well, I want to make sure my spouse. If I die, I want my spouse to be able to have income from this, but I don't want to disinherit my kids. When my spouse eventually passes on, I want to make sure my kids get get what's coming then. And it takes some tricky planning. Yeah, much more difficult uh, in a qualified um, plan than not. Correct. It can be done, but you need to do some planning on that. Well, that is all the time we've got. It's been great being here with you. Uh, if you like what you listen to, please give us a review where you get your podcast. Enjoy your weekend. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence. 